speaker. It may not be the case for everyone, but for me, there's always quite a bit of apprehension. There's uh, the possibility I could say something really off-color accidentally or make some blunder and embarrass myself and maybe not even know I'm embarrassed until later when someone reminds me. But then there's the comforting part. As long as we're here for the right reason, we study God's Word, there's always benefit. We're going to abide in the truth this morning. If we veer from that, please pull me aside and correct me. If it's blatant, correct me right now. We'll all need to know the correction. But it's not my intention to alter God's Word for any reason. This is where our comfort's at. This blessing that we can stand on this truth and discuss it and know where we stand and where we should be. I want to define a term this morning that I am persuaded is the crux of the problem that we as humans deal with. If we can handle this, if we get our minds wrapped around this and deal with it harshly and abruptly, all will be well. There's this word psychology. It comes from the root word psyche, which means soul. So psychology is the study of the soul or spirit of man. That is not our study today. Don't worry. But we are studying the psychology of sin. So what is the soul? What is the spirit of sin? What makes it tick? How does it function? How does it survive? What does it do? If we understand that, then we're ahead of the game. Because we can deal with it. Because that is man's greatest problem, sin. We're familiar with the verse in 1 John 3, 4, which says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of law. So it is to go against this pattern that God has designed, law. Now the only one that can do that is God. None of us are righteous of ourselves. We learn righteousness from God through His Word. So when He says... Something is right and good. It is absolutely right and good. So we transgress. We go against that will, that law. That is sin. So that is this brief image of what sin is. It's going against God's divine will, what would be considered and what absolutely is righteousness. So why do we submit to sin? If it's going against God's will... It's rooted in selfishness. Think about any sin and the underlying cause of that sin is selfish intent. What helps define that is 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And notice all three of those point toward self. It's selfishness. Sin has its root in in I, me, and respectively us. James 1, 14 and 15. But every man is tempted. Was Jesus tempted? Did Jesus sin? Temptation is not sin. So let's not confuse that. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. There's interest there. 
When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin is not a black tar that covers the earth that we can't escape. Everywhere we go, everything we touch, everything we do, we're in it. We're steeped in it. It covers us. It controls us. That is not sin. Sin is different. The soul and spirit of sin, as each of us look in the mirror, is us. Isn't that frightening? The soul and spirit of sin is you and I. Sin is transgression. It's lust in the forms that were mentioned. That's ultimately selfishness. Sin exists. It breathes and lives because of you and I. Wow. And that's our greatest problem. We keep sin alive. We feed it. We breed it. We water it. We incubate it. We take the syringe of sin and we inject it into ourselves. Because it can only live in us. Outside of us, it is not sin. So why does sin exist? Because of you and I. Brethren, that's frightening. Our greatest problem is we look in the mirror. We're our greatest enemy. Our own behaviors and actions. 1 Corinthians 10.13, I'm going to paraphrase. There's no temptation so big that you can't say no. God's made a way of escape that you can bear it. Isn't that comforting? So God knows each of our levels that we can handle as far as temptation goes. And God has put a limit on it because we're all different, right? The level that you could be tempted at something might be far greater than I could be. There's no temptation so big that you can't resist. It's independent. It's individual. So God has uniquely set a boundary for you and I that no sin will be so big that we can't say no. God's made a way of escape. That's comforting. But as we flip the coin over, that means when we submit, it's our fault. The soul and spirit of sin is our desire and interest. It's selfishness. And it's something that we have brought on ourselves. Let's look at some examples. Adam and Eve in the garden. They have the beautiful banana. They have the magnificent mango. They have the pretty pear. And it wasn't enough. They've got a garden filled with glorious things to eat and care for. And, and, and they were provided for everything they needed. God said, don't touch that. That's what they went for. And we think, how foolish. And we would have done the same thing. There's evidence in it because each of us have committed sin in our lives. We have wallowed in the tar of sin for some strange reason. Why do we do it? The soul and spirit of sin, brethren, is you and I. How do we deal with it? The Greeks had a word for it. Let's look at a few examples. Hamartia is sin, missing the mark. We're very familiar with it. There are quite a few. 
Asabia, godlessness. Living and acting as though God doesn't exist. We behave that way from time to time. Parochy, disobedience, resulting from a refusal to listen, stopped their ears. Can you think of a passage? Wow, why do we do it? Pereptima, a blunder, deviation from the right, failure to act in accord with the standard. For example, in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a trespass, that's that word that fits there. Parabasis, transgression, conscious crossing of a divinely appointed boundary. These are those sins. Anomia, lawlessness, deliberate disregard of God's law by acting contrary to them in a spirit of rebellion. Hatima, defeat. Failure to appropriate available resources, thereby accepting failure as inevitable, which is really sad. It's like, I'm just stuck in this position, so I may as well go with the flow. Agnoma, to err through ignorance, not necessarily willful, but through thoughtless heedlessness. And apistia, unbelief, challenging the truthfulness of God and failing to act on his trustworthiness. The soul and spirit of sin are these things. God's promised that there's no sin so big that we can't resist. So now, as we re-examine these things in our lives, how do we move forward? What's, what's tomorrow's plans for us to be unique? I know as we decided to obey the gospel and to put on Christ in baptism, we made that conscious decision, repentance. We said, I'm not going to deliberately waller in sin anymore. Occasionally, as God's people, um, we fall back into foolish behavior. We have day-to-day struggles. But we need to have the intention that I will not deliberately sin against my God again. Pet sin is not an option. Because pet sin means God is not our Father. Remember, as we concluded the last lesson, we can't have two masters hate the one and love the other so when we flirt with the world and sin what we're saying is i don't want to admit it but i really love worldliness and uh none of us would actually come out and say it but i hate god that's really what it is i hate god and his righteousness because i want to hang on to this piece of the world that really interests me personally And we have to examine that. Let's be honest. Open eyes and look at ourselves honestly in the mirror and discover those things. Let's discuss them with ourselves. Let's write them down on paper. And and why is this a problem for me? Why do I struggle with this? Let's start to examine, dissect, pull it apart. When is it a weakness in my life? What part of the day do I do this, have this struggle? You know, what are the events that surround this? And start picking this apart and take steps to annihilate it. Stick a stake in the heart of it. Burn it and spread its ashes. Let's kill this thing. Let's be done with it. 
Now, we make this comparison, though, and we say, I'm not leaning toward this idea that we'll be sinless. 1 John chapter 1, right? If we say that we're without sin, we're liars. That's not the point. The difference is we don't waller in it. We've decided to put it away from us and not have that as our pet, have something to that we hold on to. I can never say to you that I'm sinless in the sense that I've never committed sin. Because I have sinned, but only by God's grace am I forgiven, right? But if I waller in that sin again, God will bring my sin to remembrance. It's cast away at the moment, but if I decide to return to it, it will be remembered yet again. So see, it's, it's there in that sense. The only ones that we can say that are innocent are the ones that are, are safe, not the ones that need to be saved. And we're talking about children, correct? So let's define um, this idea for a moment of why people sin. A few ideas, please. People sin because there's no fear of God before their eyes. Brethren, we need to pray for that. We need to pray that we have a fear of God. Our Heavenly Father, I guess there's two aspects to that, right? We tremble before the fact that He is Creator and Judge. But yet, are we horrified by the thought of the God of heaven? This is our Father. He's the one that's made all these provisions for us to be with Him forever. Are we horrified by the idea of, of the God of heaven? Absolutely not. If we are, then I perceive that we're afraid because of our sin in our lives we're trying to cover up. So we should have a, this reverential respect and fear of God properly applied, right? Because He is our Heavenly Father. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says we're supposed to fear God and keep His commandments. He is still God. That will never end. People sin because we're deceived by sin. Hebrews 3.13 says this, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's deceiving. That's the reason people sin. People sin because of temporary pleasure. Another unique man that we didn't discuss earlier is Moses. He didn't want to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. He decided to suffer with, God, with God's people, right? So he went the hard route as far as the world's concerned, but he's at peace. He did everything he could to encourage people to be God's children. And then when he breathed his last, he had served, and he's with God and has received His reward. What a wonderful man. Let's be like that. People sin because the soul of the wicked desires sin. Brethren, never let it be named among us that our soul is wicked. That we put on this facade that we're God's people and we show up and we do all our things that we're supposed to. So everybody thinks we're okay and inside we're black because we have embraced the world. We don't want anybody to know it. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's fix it. We're breathing. Let's not throw eternity away and peace with our God forever over this world. It's fleetly. It is going to, it is going to pass away quickly. People sin because they are deceived by false doctrine. That is what is so unique about the Lord's church. And I'll be honest with you, that's probably why I'm standing here. Because I heard truth 
I wasn't raised in it. And I heard truth and it was like, yes. That's what it says. That's what I want to do. So we need to constantly check ourselves and return to God's Word and say, let's see what God says on this subject and not try to fix what I believe, my belief system. Let's make sure my belief system is God's belief system. People are deceived because of false doctrine. People sin because of the influence of the people with whom they associate. Never forsake the idea. Never forget. Evil companions corrupt good manners. You hang around people that are worldly, it's easier for them to pull you down than you to pull them up. In passing, we work with people that are of the world. Let's take those moments that we have and encourage them to repent of sin and love the Christ. We can't hang around with those folks. They can't be our our friends, close friends. They need to be acquaintance. We need to be careful. We don't need to forsake the idea of encouraging them into righteousness. This young man told me one time, I'm going to tell you a horrible story, that he was going to hang out in bars so he could tell people the gospel. This was, this was in a denomination, so you can take that with a grain of salt. Um, I guess it was two years ago that man was put to death in Georgia for uh, committing a heinous crime. And so... Uh, he was hanging out in bars didn't benefit him. And that crime was resulted from him leaving a bar one evening. Unbelievable the things that we do as humans. We also sin because we do not do what we should. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. We know right and wrong. We sit here as God's children. We know right and wrong. So let's just do right. And when we're struggling with something, we're brethren. We're not fighting against each other to get into the pearly gates. We're pulling each other along. Let's help. Let's encourage. Let's benefit. Let's be a strength for each other so that we can all be in heaven together with our Heavenly Father forever. Now, there's a contrast to some of this, and it's there are honest lost people. I want you to hear the words of the children of Israel in Jeremiah eighteen twelve, And they said, there's no hope. But we will walk after our own devices. We will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. Can you imagine someone confessing that? Brethren, those people have been in hell for about 2,600 years now. From when that was stated. 2,600 years and there's no end in sight. We will do the imagination of our evil heart. And they are still in torment, waiting the judgment, and there's no relief in sight. So what is the soul and spirit of sin? Brethren, it's the heart of men. It's what we allow in our hearts. That's why it is so critical that we be careful what we watch. If there's something on the tube that does not promote righteousness, turn it off. Be careful what you listen to. The radio is so full of garbage. Turn it off. Dwell in God's Word continually. Think on the Scriptures during the day. Meditate on it. Memorize the Word. Protect your hearts. Eternity matters. And we're preparing ourselves for this. They, they, they made the very words. Their own evil heart. Unbelievable. 
honest lost people. So honest people aren't going to heaven. Faithful people are. Remember Stephen's words in Acts 7.51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do ye. They didn't like hearing the fact that um, they didn't want their sin exposed. And so what do they do? They act like animals. They gnash on him with their teeth. Unbelievable. But we all have the opportunity to be dishonest like Israel and stiff-necked and uncircumcised like Stephen professed to those people. We all have that opportunity. And that's what's so unique about our God. He has chosen to give us the freedom to love Him if we want to, but we don't have to. So if you don't want to, if we don't want to, He's not going to force us to be with Him forever in peace. He's not going to force us to be redeemed and forgiven, washed by the blood of the Lamb. He's not going to force that upon us. So the opposite of this is humility. In Matthew 18.4, Jesus made this comment that we should be humble as little children. Let's foster that in ourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up, James 4.10. Humble ourselves. We have to debase ourselves. We have to keep ourselves in control. Mom and Daddy aren't here. Yeah. You, you see, as we continue to age and grow, we see so much wisdom in, in the things that God has done. So our parents are, in a way, in God's stead. They're our rulers, our guide. But then when mom and daddy's out of the picture, now it's time to self-parent. It's my job to tell me no and mean it. And if I don't have that, if I can't tell me no when, when the situation is presented, who's going to do it? There's no one there. So self-parenting is critical for a child of God. The world does not self-parent very well. The world runs free to do as they choose. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own person. I'll rule my life. Well, sin's ruling their life, and they refuse to self-parent and be governed by God's Word and His will. Mark seven twenty. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. We put them in us or they can't come out. They're not going to come out if we didn't put them there. So the heart and soul of sin is what we put in ourselves because it can't live outside of us. And as we think of this idea of future tense, the Scriptures talk about perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Isn't it the case today? I'm sure it has been in other times in history, but now we see it. It's, it's up front and in our face. People are lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. So how can we fix it? 
The Sermon on the Mount is this beautiful picture of this step-by-step procedure, if you will. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Come to the realization that there is nothing that I can do to fix me. My eyes are fixated on God. It's like I'm hopeless. Poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. So in this realization, I see that I've committed such atrocities against God's righteousness and will that I hate and mourn for the sin that I've committed. Blessed are the meek. This idea of mildness. I can submit to God and do as He wishes and I have this anxious desire to find out what His wishes are. A hunger and thirst after righteousness is this other blessed. So to hunger and thirst for it, that word hunger in that verse is the same word used when Jesus had fasted for 40 days. How hungry would you be if you hadn't had food for 40 days? It's that level of hunger for God's Word. So with sin needs, sometimes there needs to be some harsh terms and words. So let's think about this for a minute, please. If we show that we desire to do our current daily activities, watch our program that we never miss, and that is more important to us than filling ourselves with God's Word, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, then we've made our decision. And sin is our pet, and we get to keep it for eternity. Mamas and daddies, the way you raise your children, if you're doing so contrary to God's teachings, I'm going to use some harsh terms. You're teaching your children to love sin. And you're making them twofold the child of hell as yourself. Grandmamas and grandpapas, the scriptures say that you're supposed to raise your kids and grandkids. You have the same responsibility. If you're not continually guiding them to love God's word and truth, you're doing the same thing as the parents. We need to clothe our children in modesty and look like God's people. Or we're saying, I love the world and the things about it. If we don't, we make our children twofold the child of hell as ourselves. Let's hate sin. Let's put a stake in its heart. Let's burn it and spread its ashes. It's serious business. Brethren, if we refuse to stop putting things into our body that harms ourselves. This body's on loan. I don't get to take it with me. It's going to turn to ashes. It's going to decompose. But my soul, I get to keep forever. So this body's on loan. How do I treat it? I am responsible as a steward of God to take care of this vessel that He's put me in. And when I destroy it, I'll give account for it. And if I choose to put things into my body that harm me, we can name the things. 
I think it's a greater shame not to have committed the sin, brethren, but to not fix it, to not have admitted that you've had a problem. People struggle with the use of um, prescription drugs. It's still wrong, need to fix it, but it's still damaging the body and it's condemnable. Alcohol. Brethren, unbelievable. Members of the Lord's church think it's okay to have social drinks or drink a glass of wine at a wedding. Unbelievable. It's not. Absolutely not. I'd be glad to show you from the Scriptures. People use tobacco. Hooked on it. Nicotine. Smokeless or the smoke kind. It's sinful. It's wrong. It's hurting your body. have to stop. Vaping. If God designed for smoke to come out of our mouth like we were a chimney, then He'd have made us that way. It's wrong. There are a lot of reports about the damage it's doing to people's lungs. Stop. And anything else that we do to our bodies that's harmful, you know, it, it can be eating the wrong foods. We're a vessel for God, right? We're supposed to protect ourselves. We have to die to live. To be God's people, we have to die to self. We see this image of it where we think about the, um, the need to get into Christ, right? So we believe in Christ as the Son of God. We have every reason to believe that. The Scriptures show that. John 20, 30, and 31. Many other miracles did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe. We have much evidence. We have the evidence of the men that gave their lives and died for the cause. They would not denounce Christ. They saw the Christ. Prophecy over and over again. Fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. We can believe in Christ as the Son of God. Repentance is this choice of I will not deliberately sin against God again. Yes, we fall. But we don't waller in it. We get up, repent of it, pray, fix it. Confess what we need to this public. Confess Christ before men, not only as we're baptized into Christ, but the rest of our lives. That's not a one-shot deal. That is forever. We confess Christ before men. And here's the point I was trying to get to. In Romans 6, 3 and 4, we see that image of we have to die to live. For if we've been buried with Him by baptism into death, we're raised to walk in newness of life. Where's the newness of life? Raised. We're dying to self. We're baptized into Him. We're baptized into Christ. We have to take up our cross daily. What is that idea? What is a cross? A cross is a death instrument. And we're saying that we die to self and die to sin daily. Notice the phrase though. Take up your cross daily. So it's like there's this break period. And there is. We take a nap at night. And so the next day we've got to battle through this event again for the waking hours, and then we go to sleep, and we take a break. So really, our, our campaign is during the waking hours, and um, because the next day we have to take our cross up again. So what is the soul and spirit of sin? It is selfishness. It's no love for God. It's no love for right doing and righteousness. It's no fear of God. It's, it, in a lot of ways, it's no belief in hell. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, James 4.17. And sin has a paycheck. There are wages, right? 
we expect a check. For the wages of sin is death. Death. Physical death is not a terrible thing. Eternal death is horrible. That is beyond uh, words. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have the power. Here's what's awesome about all this. God, our Creator, didn't want a bunch of robots to fall and love Him. Follow Him and love Him. But we have an adversary in this world who wants our demise. And he'll go to whatever cost he can. But God's put a stop limit. You don't have to be tempted about that you're able and you can say no. So now the ball's back in our court. Yeah, things might get tough sometime, but we don't have to lose. Heaven's our home. All we have to do is make that decision. I will not deliberately sin against my God and I will put sin to death. The psychology of sin, the soul and spirit of sin, brethren, is you and I. And if it's not in us, it's dead. Let's keep it out of us. As we've discussed what it takes to become a child of God this morning, if you have that need, we pray, we petition, we plead that you would take those steps to be added to Christ, to have that hope of eternity, to have that peace here and now knowing that you're in Christ and safe. And we, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, will help you every step of the way. If you, as a child of God, have fallen away, need the prayers of the church, please come as we stand and sing.